Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the 364th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Kate Hope Day, author of the new novel, In the Quick. And stay tuned after the interview for a short excerpt from the audiobook of In the Quick. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story, one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S. Check out Libro.fm today. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Kate Hope Day. Kate's latest novel is In the Quick. Her earlier novel, If Then, is in development as a TV show by Apple TV. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This should be really fun. Sure. Well, if someone hasn't heard yet about your new novel, In the Quick, how would you describe the novel? Uh, Well, In the Quick is out March 2nd from Random House, and I'm so excited to share this book with um, readers. 
It's about a young, ambitious female astronaut, astronaut whose life is upended by a love affair that threatens the rescue of a lost crew. And it's a book that sort of straddles literary and speculative genres for readers of both Station Eleven and The Martian. And the book has adventure, it has a mystery, it has a love story, it has a real focus on the sort of often uncomfortable physical experiences of living in space. But at its heart, it's a story of one young woman's persistence in the face of hardships and her journey to find where she truly belongs. That's great. Do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write in the quick? I do. I had this character, June, in my head. She just showed up one day as I was working on revising my first novel. And I really wanted to start this new book um, about this sort of brilliant but kind of difficult uh, young girl and how um, and I wanted to follow her through her her the sort of first phase of her life uh, when she becomes an astronaut. Uh, but I told myself I had to finish if then before I could start writing about June. And so she kind of hung out in my head for a while. And I, I really had um, a, a large part of the book sort of mapped out in my mind before I ever wrote a word. But there's always that question sort of, well, where did this idea come from? And I think I can sort of, you know, analyze myself a little bit. And uh, at that time, my kids were, I have two young, I had two young boys at the time, they're slightly older now, but they were obsessed with space. And we watch a lot of um, videos of the International Space Station. And we were reading a lot about Mars rovers and things like that. And I, I always have loved reading about space, especially um, memoirs that are set in space, like Scott Kelly's book, I really loved that sort of get at the nitty gritty details of what it's like to eat and sleep and go to the bathroom in space. So that was in the back of my mind. And I also had um, written a book that was from multiple points of view. And I wanted to write a book that was first person about one character really focused on her. And I have this love for characters that are, um, they, they kind of get in their own way. Um, they, they sort of um, create hardships for themselves just by being who they are. And sort of the quintessential example for me is always Jane Eyre. Um, but there's all, there's so many great ones. Um, you know, Elizabeth Salander, I would put in this category, um, Arthur Leth, a flea bag. Um, I was just, I, I liked the idea of a character who was really great, but also a little bit difficult for other people to be around in various ways. Um, that was sometimes hard for other characters to like, but the um, sort of impossible for the reader not to love. Sure. Well, you mentioned earlier the physical impacts of living in space and and in, including that in uh, the novel. How much research and what kind of research did you do for writing in the quick? 
Well, I read a lot um, beyond watching a lot of YouTube videos of people <laughs> on the International Space Station. I read a lot of sort of first person accounts um, by Russian um, cosmonauts and American astronauts. But I sort of came up against the difficulty of you can read all you want, but you don't know sort of, for example, what it actually feels like to be inside a, a spacesuit. And so I did something really out of my com comfort zone. I signed myself up for space camp, which you can go to as an adult. <laughs> um, I am a more introverted person. When I was growing up, I was not a big fan of camp. I don't love group activities. So this really was, um, you know, it was motivated by wanting to understand some very specific things for my book, but I had some real apprehension going into it. But I ended up really enjoying myself and I got to do um, the way they run um, space camp um, it is they do a lot of simulations and you're basically doing the kind of training that astronauts would be doing in preparation for certain missions. And, um, there was a lot of failure, you know, we did a simulated landing of a shuttle and it, and it crashed. <laughs> um, but, uh, I did get to do also a simulated spacewalk where I was outfitted in a spacesuit and suspended by this, um, metal cord kind of like you know when in the theater they have people sort of right. flying across the stage it was it was like that um and i sort of had to um very awkwardly swim through the air above this decommissioned uh nasa shuttle um it was it was a real shuttle you know obviously not not being used anymore right. and i had to kind of do the simulated repair with this tool and i had these sort of big almost like oven mitt gloves on and it was incredibly um unwieldy but it was such it was completely invaluable how i got a sense of like what my breath sounded like in the helmet and how difficult it was to hold the tool um and the sort of vertigo of trying to create force when you don't have your feet on the ground, when you don't have um, gravity. Obviously, I did still have gravity, but um, I definitely was in a sort of different uh, physical mode than I ever had been. I had to sort of figure out how to move in this new way. Um, and so much of that experience ended up um, getting into the book. Wow, that sounds interesting. So what was your writing journey prior to uh, writing and getting your first novel, if then published? So I started out studying literature, not writing it. I was an English major and I went and got a PhD in literature and I had planned to, you know, be a professor and um, teach literature. I really um, had not written a much creatively. Um, I, I did do, make short films and I was very interested in photography, um, when I was growing up, but in terms of writing short stories and things like that, I really did not even write a word until I had graduated with my PhD. And it was sort of 2008 bad time to be on the job market. Um, that sort of coincided with me having my first child and, 
I found myself in this very strange situation of not having um, a set job that I needed to go to. And I was home with this newborn and I sort of felt like I had entered a new reality and I, I needed it really writing fiction came out of, um, I would say the sort of emotional necessity of needing to put those feelings um, about that experience somewhere and I started writing if then. Um, so, so some of that very strange feeling of stepping into another reality uh, in that moment became that book. Well, so are there writers or novels that inspired your writing journey and, and that inspired your two novels? Well, I studied the Victorian novel in graduate school. And so my heart is always kind of still there. Um, I think when you spend um, almost seven years of graduate school reading novels, uh, the ones the ones you read become sort of part of your DNA, and um, so th- that's sort of my home. I I have a longstanding love for Dickens and George Eliot and uh, the Brontes, but um, when I started writing fiction um, and I started my first novel. I really got interested in um, writers who were kind of uh, finding this sort of sweet spot between literary and speculative fiction uh, in an interesting way. Um, Tom Parada's The Leftovers was definitely uh, an inspiration. Um, Murakami's um, books also, for sure. And that's definitely something that's... um, continued with my second book, um, which also is sort of inhabiting this kind of in-between place between um, literary and speculative. So any book that's kind of not quite in one category or another, I'm really interested in. Um, But I also still do gravitate towards those family dramas, um, which are in many ways very much in the tradition of the Victorian novel where we're really focusing on, you know, the everyday details of, of life. Um, so I still do have that, um, longstanding sort of the gravitational pull that kind of story. Yeah. So what was your writing process while you were working on in the quick, do you outline extensively before you start working or are you more of an organic writer? In the quick, was really different from my first novel in that I had written a book. I had had a lot of sort of false starts and, you know, learning as I was writing with If Then because I had never, you know, written a novel and I don't have an MFA. I was sort of like coming from this other discipline. And so in the quick was very different in the sense that I, um, had gotten a two book contract. So I had a deadline, number one. And number two, I already really had a pretty um, expansive sense of the character and the world when I started writing. So um, in that sense, there was, there was a lot of less, um, there was less sort of floundering around trying to figure out, you know, what the book was going to be. I really knew what I wanted it to be. Um, But I will say, 
Um, now I'm working on my third novel. I definitely see a real value, and this is how I tend to work in writing sort of very messy 20 or 30,000 words just to get a sense of the main character, the people, the place, sort of what are the kind of central concerns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Of this book and sort of figuring that out without a lot of worry about plot and, you know, how the book is going to be structured. But right around 30,000 words is when I start to feel like, okay, I need to figure out what this book is going to do structurally. And at that point, I really do a lot of work to figure out kind of the broad um, structure of the book. And I really do focus at that point on what the characters want and how they are going to, over the course of the novel, either get it or not, and really think about sort of character arcs, um, how the, the character, the main characters are different um, from the beginning through to the end of the book. Sure. Well, given your work on your um, first two novels, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? Um, I think number one, I think reading widely is the most important thing. And I think it's important to read things that you love and you that are in your comfort zone. But I also think it's important to sort of, you know, read outside your favorite genres, read um, experiences that are different from your own, you know, read books that are structurally maybe a little challenging for you. Um, I think reading widely and sort of getting the experience of, you know, very different places and characters and very different sort of formal structures is how you keep the energy going in your own writing. Um, I also, right now, uh, the writers that I talk to, the main sort of pressing question that they have is how do they keep their um, kind of long form, whether novel, memoir um, projects going when, you know, we're all so strapped for time. I'm a parent. A lot of writers that I talk to, um, on social media or in my just in my everyday life, our parents too, and we just have this very limited amount of time to work now because we have kids at home, you know, um, homeschooling kids. We have we might have a job we're also doing at home, and so writing sort of gets squeezed into these tiny little moments. And um, for me, the key has been finding creative ways to keep my project alive in my mind. And yes, it's great if you can open up that Word document document or your Scrivener every day and work. But 
right now, that's just not realistic for most of us. So to me, I, if I can find ways to keep thinking about that, you know, main character, keep thinking about that world, keep thinking about the questions that I really want to think about in that book. Um, so a couple of things that I do, I try to do a little bit of free writing about my current project, which is my third novel before I go to bed. And, you know, sometimes it ends up being something, sometimes it ends up being just, you know, you feel like, oh, well, what was the point of that? Well, the point was to just keep connected to that book because you haven't been able to, you know, open up that document. I also, if I do get to write, I always print out whatever I've done, even if it's messy, um, even if it's just a free write or an outline that I've done, and I'll sort of have that out. Um, you know, maybe I get to look at it, maybe I don't, but um, it sort of keeps that project um, in my mind. That sounds like good advice. Um, you mentioned reading. What novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Well, I am working on a book right now uh, that's about a mother who sort of had a fraught relationship with her own mother. And it's about how her memories of her mom kind of shaped the choices she's made in her marriage and the way she parents her own kids and also sort of like the stories that she chooses to tell about the way she grew up. And so I, I, and this is very typical of me. I sort of get on these like thematic runs with reading. Um, so I've been gravitating toward books um, that are about mothers in some way. And uh, so somehow I missed um, the book heavy, the memoir heavy by Kiese um, Lehman. And uh, I think the New York Times called it something like gorgeous and gutting. And that's a very good description of that book. Um, and it's largely about um, his relationship with his mother and sort of the story he wants to tell about growing up. And um, I'm also in the middle of Shuggy Bane, which is just <laughs> wrecking me, um, which is also, uh, also largely about uh, Shuggy's mother. But I also should, I always like to mention the books I'm reading with my kids. Um, one thing I am sure. really enjoying is we've been doing kind of a stretch of books that are the young adult version of um, adult novels. So um, we read, uh, or right, right now we're reading the um, young adult version of Scott Kelly's book, Endurance, which is about his year on the International Space Station. Um, and actually, come to think of it, that book is largely also about um, his relationship with his mother and sort of the way that he uh, was inspired by her. That's interesting. So where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? Well, I am mostly more often on Instagram, but I am also on Twitter and you can always find me, um, either of those places. I am also, um, it's very easy to get a hold of me through my website, which is www.katehopeday.com. And there you can, um, contact me personally, and you can also sign up for my newsletter, 
which is only like four or five times a year. But I, in that I talk about sort of what I'm doing right now in terms of writing and what I'm finding helpful, you know, if I'm revising, I'll sort of talk about revising. And I also talk about what books I've recently read that really sort of were great or got under my skin or that I wanted to talk about with other people. That's great. Well, as I mentioned at the outset, uh, your first novel, If Then, is in development at Apple TV. Is there any um, thing that you can talk about there as to where that's at? I would love to talk about that at length. <laughs> <laughs> um, they they haven't 100% given me the go-ahead for that, but it, sure. it is um, in development um, with uh, the producer, uh, Heyday, which made Gravity and all the Harry Potter movies. Um, very talented people there. And um, also, you know, with Apple TV, and that's been a really interesting experience. Um, I'm not on a day-to-day basis involved in um, the adaptation process, but I have been able to speak with the um, writer that's doing the adapting and sort of get to hear how they're um, how it's going in the writing room, and it just will be really wild <laughs> when. <laughs> Um, it's actually on screen to see characters that I sort of, I don't know, dreamed up when my kids were sleeping and I was sort of, you know, just trying to write, um, struggling to to create something and never would have thought it would become this, you know, something else in this other medium. So that, that's exciting. And, um, I hope to have sort of a more official announcement about, you know, when it will be on and things like that in, in the um, coming months. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Kate Hope Day, author of the new novel, In the Quick. The book is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Kate, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much. It was a complete pleasure. Great. Now, stay tuned for a short excerpt from the audiobook of In the Quick by Kate Hope Day. Narrated by Rebecca Lohman and published by Random House Audio. Available wherever audiobooks are sold. Space is cruel to the human body. We aren't machines. Rockets with metal skin and polymer bones. Rovers with microchips for guts. Our bodies are full of fluid and soft tissue. We aren't built for space. Our thoughts, the things we know, are sturdier in zero gravity but they originate in gray matter. They change shape, even disappear in the face of disorientation, dehydration, oxygen deprivation. Because ideas require bodies too, hands, lips, a tongue, ears. Otherwise, they're about as useful as dust motes drifting in the air. When I was 12 years old and watched test rockets spark through the sky outside my Aunt Regina's house, I imagined their destinations, perfectly round planets colored red and pink and white. I pictured spacesuits, puffy and bright against a black expanse. It didn't occur to me to think about the bodies inside those suits, the brains inside those helmets. Not until a frozen day in November when the news came that the Inquiry Explorer was in trouble. It was on a six-year mission, the first of its kind 
to travel farther in our solar system than any manned mission had gone before. Inquiry was special. More than a decade of research at the National Space Program had gone into building the Explorer, and it was manned by four of the most talented astronauts in the world. It was a Saturday, late morning. I sat in the window seat in the living room with a book on my lap, New History of Energy. A chapter was devoted to my uncle and his famous fuel cell. The book smelled like him, like metal shavings and pen ink. Since he'd died, I'd read the chapter at least 20 times. I turned a page. Outside, rockets launched from the NSP campus lit up the hard gray sky. The sound of the TV came from the living room. A man was talking about inquiry. I went into the hallway to listen, and my limbs went cold. The explorer had lost all propulsion control just as it was beginning its orbit around Saturn. The newscaster lowered his voice and began talking about the minutes leading up to when the explorer lost power. He said its fuel cells were suspected, but that couldn't be right because my uncle had invented those cells. I moved closer, my stomach a heavy weight. He didn't say anything more about the cells. Instead, he talked about the inquiry crew, and I grew impatient because I already knew everything about them where they grew up, how old they were, what they had studied in school, if they had siblings and how many, their hobbies and what they liked to read. I could tell you every detail. The newscaster began reading from a statement issued from NSP. They were in constant communication with inquiry, it said, and were working around the clock to troubleshoot the suspected fuel cell malfunction. Inquiry had recently received an unmanned supply capsule the second of 12 scheduled to reach it at six-month intervals, and had ample food and water and an open line of communication with Earth. NSP was confident a solution was imminent. The crew were not in any immediate danger and had been in contact with their families. Then the man stopped talking about inquiry, and the weather report came on. I returned to my spot in the window and called the dogs, Reacher and Duster, to come sit with me but neither came. I felt chilled and stiff and pulled my sweater to my chin. The words in New History of Energy swam on the page. I got up, went into the kitchen, and opened the closet door. Inside was my aunt's new vacuum, a sleek silver machine with a nozzle like a two-headed snake. I used a knife to disconnect the nozzle, take out the screws, and remove the plates and filters. When I lifted the motor's cover, the smell of dust and paper filled my nose. The fan inside was a perfect plastic flower with curved gray petals and a small red center that made a soft clicking sound when I turned it with my finger, clockwise and then counterclockwise. I imagined that when the flower moved forward, I was turning time, that night was falling around me. Everyone was asleep and there was no rush. I could look at all the parts of the vacuum and think about how they could be put together differently.
sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.